Mac Folklore Radio, read by Derek. Sorry I Almost Got You Fired, by Landon Dyer at dadhacker.com. I'm sorry I got you fired. Well, nearly fired anyway. It was pretty close. The road to unemployment is paved with good intentions. God knows I sure led you on. And when management found out, whoo boy. One fine sunny afternoon in Silicon Valley, I was sitting in my cubicle at Apple Computer, happily noodling away at some C++, when someone in the hall tripped and fell down and rolled against the wall of my cubicle. I hope they're okay, I thought, and started to get up to see how they were. Then whoever it was got up and fell down again, a little harder this time, and a small truck hit the building, and my 21-inch monitor, known as a Kong in our group, and which incorporated at least 80 pounds of lead and probably a fair amount of neutronium, started to rock back and forth on its not insubstantial base. I stood up. Trust me, you don't want a Kong in your lap. Just as another, larger truck hit the building, making the monitor rock even more, and causing the light fixtures above the cube farm to swing. And my next thought was, is this the big one? Because it was clear we were about eight seconds into a definitely non-trivial earthquake. And if it kept escalating, it wasn't going to be one of the little ha-ha, something farted underground and now it's over kind of earthquakes we get all the time in Silly Valley, and that barely make it to the second section of the newspaper, but instead a whopper that we would still be talking about years later, assuming we survived the next couple of minutes. The shaking got worse over the next few seconds. Time to panic. I did what everyone else did, exactly what safety experts tell you not to do, which was to run, not walk, rapidly towards the building's exit. As I left my cube, I saw my monitor rock over one final time and land on my chair where my lap had just been. So, good call. I walked rapidly down the hallway, left turn, right turn, down into the stairwell with a crowd of equally unwise people, all of us very definitely not panicking and not running. About that time, the really big shaking started, and we all played Star Trek Bridge Attack. Red alert, red alert, man your battle stations. Scene, bridge interior. Generic 1960s Starship Bridge console guy. The enemy ship has launched photonic torpedoes, Captain. Somebody else. Keep walking. Don't run. Walk, damn it. Everyone on the bridge lurches left, then right, then left again while the cameraman waggles the camera around. You all know the scene. People hang on to things which fall over. People hang on to other people and fall over. The shaking continues and the lights go out. Somebody screams. We walk run past the now dark cafeteria, past the wisely deserted reception desk, and through wobbly double glass doors into sunlight. Cars are heaving up and down in the parking lot. In the distance, waves in the ground are rippling towards you. Here comes another one. Whoop! Building exterior. This is just a high-end Silicon Valley office building, mostly glass on the outside. The only remarkable thing about it is that all of the glass is warping around crazily, along with most of the parking lot. Keep walking. Get away from the building. Look out for glass friend. Hey, who's the asshole who knocked over my motorcycle? Cars. 
After an unreasonable amount of time, it couldn't have been less than a couple of weeks, the shaking finally stopped. We looked at each other, the unspoken question on everyone's mind being, is that all, or was that just the warm-up for the really big one? After milling around for a while, we were told by some management we'd be contacted when it was okay to return to work, and that we should all go home now. A few people at a time were allowed back into the building to get car keys and other critical items. I lived about a mile from Apple then, so I walked home and cleaned up a few tipped-over bookshelves. Power was out for six or seven hours, and helicopters from the naval base a few miles away were quartering the valley like you've seen in a Vietnam War movie with a great whapping of helicopter blades. One week later, we were told to return to work in another building far away from Apple's campus in Cupertino, way out in Mountain View. This building was near 101 and Moffett Field, and just under the approach path for the airfield. Several times a day, Navy P-3 subhunting planes returning from a tour of keeping the West Coast free from pesky nuclear submarines would start their approach, fly over our building, and dump fuel on us. There were mornings when you could smell the napalm. We called the Bay Area Air Quality Board, and while they would have gone Rottweiler on any company or individual dumping fuel, these were military flights, and the Navy could dump anything they pleased. Some wit posted a no-smoking sign on the door leading to the parking lot. No idea who. Honest. Apple was never a company willing to pass up a good earthquake as an excuse to do a reorg. Our division got a little political shaking of its own. And that's how I landed two cubicles away from someone we shall call Tim. There are some who call me Tim. Who worked on the Macintosh Programmer's Workshop, MPW, shell user interface. I need to describe the MPW shell to you. Imagine a Unix shell circa 1985. You are probably staring at an 80-column by 25-line VT100 terminal. At your fingertips are hundreds of tools, all with little fiddly options, all different, and a couple of editors, Emacs, VI, and yeah, slash bin, slash ed. And that's about it. Now imagine you're a developer at Apple, and you want a Unix shell and a bunch of Unix-like tools, but you hate the miserable 80 by 25 and no mouse jail, so you decide to do your own thing. It starts out well with a mouse-driven text editor. You hang a command interpreter on it and tell your users enter inserts a new line, while command enter submits a line as a command. And after a while, they get used to it. Integrated editor plus shell. Pretty neat, actually. BBEdit still has this feature and calls them shell worksheets. And then, things go off the rails. Nearly every major tool got its MPWified version. Regular expressions used the Mac's extended character set. So a wavy squiggle was the wild card or asterisk. A fat-looking bullet splat was the caret, signaling the start of a line, and a cute little infinity sign for dollar sign, marking the end of a line. Make files used funky characters instead of colon. Every tool got a template-driven front end with checkboxes and lists of options. So Macintosh Programmer's Workshop was all bespoke stuff, written by people who said they hated Unix, but who secretly just wanted to rewrite all the fun stuff for a new environment. 
One day I'm noodling around, porting Emacs to the Macintosh. Again. Every six months or so, I get fed up with MPW Shell's lack of key bindings and crack open the Emacs sources. Maybe I can do it this time. And after a few hours, I back away slowly, then rm-rf, sorry, that's delete file-recurse-yupperoo in MPW speak, and feel sorry for my lack of gumption. It doesn't help that Richard Stallman hates Apple and personally hates my very own specific ass. Anyway, I'm in the middle of seeing if Emacs has improved, or my ability to hold my nose and just go for it and fork the damned thing has, when I find Tim looking over my shoulder. He has probably heard my teeth grinding. What you doing? Trying to port Emacs, I whisper. One of the group's management heavies is not far away, and he definitely doesn't understand real editors. Emacs? What's that? Tim whispers back. It's an editor that doesn't suck. What's wrong with MPW? Oh boy. I tell Net to a handy vax. Yes, Apple had vaxen, and gave Tim a whirlwind tour. The simpler commands, followed by composition with universal arguments, key bindings for various modes, see, tab and return do the indentation here, and keyboard macros. MPW had a bunch of stuff better than Emacs, a full graphical user interface, and multiple windows and so forth, but MPW's key handling was pretty quaint. And modes? Ha! Tim was visibly awed, despite the 80 by 25 constrained interaction. Wow, that would be pretty neat. How do those keyboard macro things work again? I showed him, and I sealed his fate. Tim returned a few more times for discussion, and I showed him more of what the Emacs folks had come up with over the years. His own implementation gave it an MPW spin and made things a lot more friendly and powerful. And then he showed his little side project to his manager, who freaked out and told him never to even consider putting the feature into the shipping product. About three months later, Tim knocked on the side of my cube and said, I think they're going to fire me. What? I checked all that stuff in, and it went out in the last release, and they just discovered that it's in there. You checked it in after Fred told you no way? I sort of snuck it in. They're pretty lax, and it was already in there for the demo. I just left it enabled and didn't say anything, and it sort of escaped. To users. Oh boy. The problem is, users love it. The discussion groups are full of great comments. Fred is pissed. Tim had mentioned me as a source of influence, so I had a parade of managers file through my cube for the next day or so. The managers didn't get it. The programmers, who had to use MPW every day, loved it. The support folks reported developers loved the feature and were hoping it was a sign of continued and fresh life in a product they loved to complain about. Tim wasn't fired. I think the management had some meetings and did their usual we have to pee in this feature MPW style design work, but even after some political torque had been applied, the keyboard binding stuff remained usable, and people still loved it. I wound up leaving the group about six months later. I lost track of what MPW was doing after that, and I've utterly lost track of Tim, too. I know this is a crappy way to build features that customers want,
But the opposite way is crappy too. Ain't no easy answers. Gary Davidian, who developed the 68K emulator that was so critical to the Power Macintosh. I was sort of helping out a little bit on the Quadra 700. I was kind of the one engineer that system software was allowing to work on risk-based Macs. So it was in September of 89 that the CI and the portable got shipped. So everyone that was working on that was done, right. except those that were working on the FX, which was me. I still had the FX that came out in March of 90. And in between that, in October of 89, was the Loma Prieta earthquake, which was a very disrupting thing. We were in the fourth floor of De Anza 3. I was actually standing near the stairwell when it hit. The wallboard in the stairwell was crumbling, and we just went down the stairs. I left my keys and my briefcase in my office. The sprinklers went off. Sprinklers can only be turned off by the fire department, and they were kind of preoccupied that day. So the building was filling with water, kind of crumbling. It was sort of decided that the Anza 3 would not be reoccupied. There were plans to remodel it anyway, and they just accelerated that. So we were moving into Mariani 1, which was not quite ready for us <laughs> at the time. I think there was probably about a week we couldn't go back to work, and I was actually home without electricity during part of that. Uh, but I had a Mac portable, and I could actually dial into Apple Link. Thanks for tuning in. You can find more stories or join the very quiet Discord server for this podcast at www.macfolkloreradio.com.